You're listening to The Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Now for political insight and strategy, let's get started with your hosts. Hi, this is Caitlin Martin. I'm Towner French. This is Patrick Martin. This is Mark Alderman. This is Howard Schweitzer. Towner, Caitlin, good afternoon. It's just the three of us today. The A-team. The A-team. Let's review the excuses for those that are not present with us <laughs> today. Okay. They're pretty good excuses. Decent excuses. Mark is in Philadelphia with the Speaker of the House and the President. Yeah. We'll let that go. Yeah. Tristan is in Florida. Miami, to be exact. Miami. With the... Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee, bunch of uh, Democratic senators. We'll let that go. They're hanging on by their fingernails. They, <laughs> yeah, they, this may not be such a joyous retreat in a year, but yeah. <laughs> and Patrick, congratulations to Patrick and and Kate, the other Caitlin Martin, uh, Peter Dodds Martin, born yesterday, yes, um, in the city of Chicago. Very exciting, uh, thrilled for the them and and for Lucy and George and congratulations to them on the expansion of their family. And I guess we'll let his absence go this Just week. Slide. We yeah. we do give some paternity leave. Yes, yes, yes. Of course we do. Very family friendly. Yes. All right, um, Caitlin, what's on your mind this week? We got Ukraine, we've got inflation, we've got a budget bill. What's on your mind? Well, what's really on my mind this week, Howard, is gas prices, inflation. And I'm a little frustrated with this. You know, the White House wants to call it the Putin price hike, which I just think is completely disingenuous because gas prices were through the roof and historically high levels before the invasion of of Ukraine. Of course, this situation with Russia and Ukraine is only going to make things worse. But I just say I I call BS. Uh, Larry Summers actually was out with a great piece this afternoon criticizing the Biden administration's emphasis on, you know, trying to blame Putin for inflation and price hikes. And what I'd like to say to this administration and whoever's writing their messaging this week is the American people are not that stupid. You know, gas prices were were spiking before. We're now negotiating with Saudi Arabia to try to reopen, you know, oil sales there. The folks that were behind the 9-11 attacks and the murder of a Washington Post journalist. The same time that this administration has shut down the Keystone XL pipeline and additional drilling. And it's really frustrating. That's what's on my mind this week. That's it? She's grinding her gears. Yeah. <laughs> Towner, I'm afraid to ask. We're going to be accused of one sidesism today instead of both sidesism. But I know. I actually I'm going to slightly take the other side, slightly take the other side of this. First, I would like to say we should do some crazy audio visual because three weeks ago I told Patrick Barton and Mark Alderman that the administration was going to use this Ukraine crisis to cover up for inflation. Uh, that was already present and they were like, no, 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 it's not going to happen. But I'd like to find that clip and and rerun it at some point. 
and this could be a very um, controversial statement, and I apologize in advance, but I think we're going to see the administration tie the actions in Ukraine to inflationary problems that were happening in the United States and were going to happen in the United States if Ukraine didn't happen. And I think they're going to you're they're going to try to tie politically. Well, because we're taking the actions we are against Russia over Ukraine, you know, you see all this inflation, you see interest rates rising. And I think there's going to be there's going to be an effort to link uh, our inflationary problems and interest rates to um, to national security issues. Um, But anyway, that being said, here's what I promise. And I've, I've promised to myself that I will not do. I will not blame the Biden administration nor will I blame any congressional Democrats for rising gas prices. And I'll tell you why, because even though a good chunk of that is due to inflation, I don't want to be the party that says we need to take action in Ukraine. You have to cut off oil to Russia and blame you for the side effects to the, the after effects of that actually happening, even though it is only partially responsible from the cutting off of oil to Russia. This was an important step that had to happen. And quite frankly, I don't want to bring the oil price issue into politics to the extent that that we can try not to. There are so many other ways to show that inflation is out of control in this country, regardless of the oil issue, quite frankly. And so I've I've sort of made this promise to myself that, and I'm going to try to hold true to it, that in October, when we're doing the podcast and, and I'm rattling off all the reasons why Democrats are probably going to lose both houses of Congress... I'm going to try to make sure that oil prices, the price of the pump is not the reason why, and and that's not on my list, because there is an extensive list beyond uh, the oil price issue. And and I still feel that, you know, from a from a national security standpoint, from a standing against Putin standpoint, uh, there's going to be some pain that Americans are going to have to experience. And that pain is going to be significantly less than anyone else in the world is going to experience. But we have to take it and we have to uh, we have to own up to it because that's how you get rid of murderous uh, dictators and their oligarchs. I mean, I feel like Biden's done a pretty good job on Ukraine and and I personally give him, you know, high marks on the way this has been handled and the um, the messaging around it and the way the I mean, it's it's been very interesting because we have this thesis about our business that in 2022 government is still immensely important and government is many organizations most important stakeholder but it's not the only stakeholder and i think what we're seeing is corporations push we're seeing all we're seeing pushes coming from everywhere i saw on the Wall Street Journal before we got on that Herbalife is stopping sales in Russia and McDonald's strong. shut their stores and Coca-Cola. Yeah. I mean, it's really, it's just interesting. The action, the reaction of the world, not just from a governmental perspective, but the mobilization of public opinion. And I think a lot of that can be attributed to the messaging around the run-up, calling him out, mm-hmm. Putin out on what he was about to do. Um, you know, I was re- listening to something about how warped the news cycle is these days and, you know, fake news, like actual fake news. And 
the fact that they just kept putting out the truth because they didn't want Putin to distort what was going on. And I think it's been effective. I think they've done a good job. It's a very difficult situation. Um, obviously, it's delicate. We don't want troops in there, but I give them high marks. You know, it's fascinating. One of the things, the, the group that shouldn't be very happy about what Biden's doing is actually congressional Democrats, because over the course of the last week, Congress, specifically Democrats and Republicans together, have come to an understanding on the measures that the United States needs to take. And in most cases, they are measures that the administration had taken off of the table because of the economic effect or or other reasons uh, or partners and allies not wanting to go uh, and do those things. And so what we've seen, uh, and it's been a pattern for the last seven days or so, uh, you know, a few days ago, Congress decides, Republicans and Democrats, that we are going to stop importation of Russian oil. Nancy Pelosi writes a bill that says we are stopping importation of oil. The House Democrats are about to take up that bill on the House floor, and Biden hastily schedules a news conference to announce he's stopping the importation of oil. And we just saw it again over the course of the last 24 hours with regards to permanent normalized trade relations, PNTR, for Russia. Congressional Democrats and Republicans came together and said, we put out a bill that says we're removing PNTR status for Russia. And immediately the president and his folks come to the mic and announce they have decided that PNTR will be removed. So it's it's been interesting because each time congressional Democrats have tried to, to take a step forward beyond the president, the president has sought to immediately jump out ahead of them and announce the policy before Congress can move on a piece of legislation. Well, so my question to you, Towner, would then be, who is leading here? Is it Congress? Yeah. And are we seeing a re-exertion of congressional power around international affairs in a really interesting way? Well, it's fascinating. I mean, it's not your typical way that you would force a president's hand. Usually you pass a bill, you send it to their desk, you make them veto it or not, and they have to come to terms with you know, weighing the cost benefit uh, from an executive branch standpoint as to how they administer the government and how they deal with our allies. In this particular case, you know, I feel like Republicans have been out there proposing these ideas over the course of the last two weeks. As each idea gains mainstream congressional Democratic support, the administration goes, okay, we're going to go ahead and do that. Even though they've said in the past on, on each one of these issues, no, we're not going to do that. You know, Maybe as, that's strategic. It is strategic. but Maybe it's strategic on the part of the Biden administration yeah. because maybe it's better. <laughs> I mean, look, you know there's all sorts of back-channeling going on behind the scenes that nobody can see and nobody knows about. And I'm not saying he's talking to Putin every five minutes, but like, you know, there's, you know, there's communicating, you know, there's like back channel stuff going on. Yeah. Maybe we want to, maybe it's important that the administration um, doesn't look too provocative. There's a fine line. I, I don't think I'm saying it very well, but there's a fine line. Ooh. Like we don't want this thing to broaden. I mean, they're negotiating an Iran deal with Russia at the table right now on nukes. And, you know, it's the question has been, how can you do that? How can you sit down on the same side of the table as Russia to negotiate with Iran 
while the conflict is going on, we are arming Ukraine to kill Russian soldiers. How do you how do you justify that? And they said, well, look, there's more things going on in the world than just just the Ukraine conflict right now. And it's uh, I think you're exactly right, Howard. I think they need to appear as though at this stage of it, that they're being pushed, that the public opinion and sentiment in Congress are pushing them to a place. But at the same point in time, it is upsetting congressional Democrats that they can't claim a victory. Well, look, you and I, yeah, fine. But we've talked many times, the three of us and, and the six of us on this podcast about the fact that you know, Congress makes the laws, but the president executes them. And it's up to, you know, that there's only one president and they, they don't all, you can, the same party, you know, can often see things very differently. People within the same party. I mean, when I was in government, most of the, most of the dysfunction and the arguments were actually between people on the same side of the aisle, as opposed to the Republican and the Democrat. They knew where each other stood, but the Democrat and Democrat or the Republican and the Republican, they were the ones that didn't get along. They were the ones that couldn't agree. They were the ones that were jockeying for, for power. So it's, that's why what we do for a living is so nuanced. It's much more than meets the eye. That's exactly right. And, and, Congressional Democrats know that at this stage of the electoral game for the midterms, they're riding the president's coattails. If he's an extremely popular point. wartime president, then they have a better chance of holding the House and Senate. And that was and, and, and I'm just reverting back for a minute. That gets to my initial point. And then I am fully supportive of the ban on Russian oil imports. But I'm just laughing to myself because it's like, come on, guys. It's a brilliant messaging strategy on the White House's part. Let's blame Putin. But all I'm saying is I've been talking about high gas prices on this podcast for months, well before the current this horrific situation unfolding in Ukraine. And yes, things are only going to get worse. That's I, only because you finally got a car, Caitlin. Yeah, it, just to be clear. No, I got a car at the exact time gas prices started going up. And it's frustrating to me that we're, we're, we're turning from one murderous dictator to another. And that's very frustrating to me when we have a robust domestic oil supply in this country that we do not tap into because this administration and Democrats in Congress do not want to. So instead, again, we're turning back to Venezuela, Saudi Arabia, and others. Yeah. As a side note, not to take away from Caitlin's statement, I got to see her convertible this week. It's a pretty sweet car she's got. (laughs) Thanks, Tanner. Thank you for a little spin on it. I've heard I'm a better driver than some other members of our team. Oh, now we're really throwing down. <laughs> we won't name those other members of the team. <laughs> oh, geez. <laughs> and, and in other news, Congress uh, this week passed a finally passed the budget bill they were supposed to have gotten done last September yeah. um, that they kept punting on. So um, uh, government gross. Our government is uh, doesn't shrink. You you only need to pass spending after six months of the year is passed. You know, <laughs> I mean that's that makes a lot of sense, right? <laughs> um, it, it was necessary. It was a necessary step. I mean, it has to happen. Keep in mind, Joe Biden has not passed a annual spending bill of his own. The appropriations we are living under today, before since the bill has not been signed into law, the appropriations we are living under today was Donald Trump's last budget. 
And I think when when you put that in context and tell congressional Democrats that, obviously they have some different priorities. The President Biden has some different priorities uh, than President Trump. But this was because of the nature of the small majorities and the fact that, that they wanted to get this through because there was motivation on both sides uh, to get this through. This was truly throw it back to the appropriators. Let's start a bipartisan negotiation, almost nonpartisan negotiation to a certain degree. They came up with with, uh, an increase to defense and non-defense discretionary budgets. The money's in there now uh, to implement the infrastructure bill uh, that Democrats want to run on so they can start moving a lot of these new programs and spending that were passed in the infrastructure bill. The Ukraine package uh, of essentially an equal split between humanitarian billions in humanitarian aid and billions in military assistance was passed alongside of this package and within this package. Um, you know, I, there was a few hiccups along the way, obviously, and it took a heck of a lot longer than most uh, budget seasons take. Uh, but at the same point in time, they're done with it. And now we can turn to fiscal year 23 and, and President Biden, uh, one would expect, we expect, will submit his budget sometime over the next uh, few weeks here for fiscal year 23. And we'll start that process anew. But there were so many things that that keyed on passing this piece of legislation. And some key wins for several of our clients in there as well. You know, it was the first time in over a decade that earmarks were back on the table, community project funding, as they're calling them, this Congress. And I think in a lot of ways, you know, we we saw some successes for many of our clients for specific district-based projects that are really going to um, increase jobs, alleviate some environmental issues, and um, make, make a difference. And I think there's some thinking. It'll be interesting to see if Republicans take back both chambers of Congress or one chamber of Congress next year, whether or not they'll consider keeping some of those projects. And, you know, when they when they've got the the chairmanship, because there's some good things in this bill for members, both Republican and Democrat. And it was a good key to help negotiate the process as well. Yeah. I think it's interesting, as we always say, like things actually do eventually happen in this crazy town we all live and work in. Um, you know, they do they do come together. The parties can come together and and pass legislation. Um, and yeah, some big wins in there, Caitlin, for really good local projects. Um, for our clients, these are not the days of the bridge to nowhere. Um, those those are not back, but some limited earmark funding is back, and um, that's that's super exciting. Um, you know, the government continues to to grow, though. Like it 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 doesn't shrink, um, and it'll be interesting to see in the fall how much of a message the Republicans make out out of that. I guess the other thing, Towner, I'd say on your point about the fact that it's still Trump's budget, it's, I mean, all the inflation we're seeing Mm -hmm. is really, in my humble economic opinion, arises out of the abundance of COVID relief packages that were done over the last couple of years. I believe today was the year that the American Rescue Plan was signed into law a year ago today. Ah. And I mean, that was a Biden package, but it was it wasn't the only package. And look, a president 
has to bear the burden or get the benefit of where the country is when they have the reins of power. And so Biden has to bear the burden of the fact that inflation is rearing its head and their economic challenges. Um, but arguably, a lot of this stuff, I don't think the messaging has been very good around the fact that that a lot of this stuff was done while Republicans were in charge. Absolutely. But it's been a unique situation right now because we have been... Um, well, I mean, because of the pandemic, we've been in a situation where, first of all, we haven't passed a normal uh, omnibus appropriations bill, the annual spending bill, for 15 months. And in the interim, we've had the American Rescue Plan, we've had uh, the infrastructure bill, we've had these big, huge packages. People forget that in December of 2020, when the last mm -hmm. omnibus bill passed, it had attached to it, uh, what, $900 billion stimulus, uh, pandemic stimulus for the end of 2020 uh, to it. So even that was a pandemic stimulus bill. So it's really been at least two plus years since we've had a normal fiscal year spending bill pass through the House and Senate. And I think this is a bit of a acknowledgement of the inflation. It's a bit of acknowledgement of Congress sort of returning to a more normal stance uh, in how they deal with bills and budgets through the course of the year, um, that it didn't have a COVID relief package on it. Uh, and even if it had included a COVID relief package, there was a negotiation that would have uh, not only fully offset that COVID relief package, but it was $15 billion, which was significantly down from what a lot of folks wanted. The restaurants wanted, you know, $40 billion more uh, for their stimulus program uh, that was underfunded, quite frankly, during the during the, the last omnibus in December of 2020. Um, you know, several other programs wanted additional dollars uh, for folks that were hurting through Omicron. And Congress, as a as a general matter, there was some politics thrown into it as well, but uh, basically said, no, that's it. We're done with this. We're done with the stimulus. It's just going to be so interesting when the historians write the history of this period, which obviously will be will be done in a very significant way. How like what actually caused what we're going through now when the historians and economists in their academic manner break it down because, I mean, I, a lot of this makes sense. Like people are sitting in their homes. They're, uh, who doesn't have a slew of Amazon, Amazon packages arise, arriving every day? Uh, I think we have but, a FedEx uh, substation now at our house. Right? Yeah, I mean, the Schweitzer household is like out of control. Every five minutes. There's somebody's pulling up with some package. You know, can I can I interject for one second to say what hasn't changed during the pandemic is the size of recycling containers for all the cardboard I try to jam in there on a oh, daily yeah. basis. I know. And we have a client that can help us with that because that's a real problem. And adequately recycling your contain your packaging containers, and that's the next frontier of of a big problem we're going to be facing as a nation. Caitlin Martin saving the planet. <laughs> Sorry, Howard, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I apologize. <laughs> no, it's, it's, uh, it is, I just think we've shifted and, you know, people aren't going out to restaurants as much as they were, although they're certainly starting to fill up and we've, we've certainly started to go out. People aren't, haven't traveled as much. Like they're spending their money in different ways. And 
it's just a supply chain lack of available labor. Like, guess what? We don't have enough workers. And if you don't have enough workers, you got to pay more to get the ones that you can get. Yep. And guess what happens? Somebody has to pay that cost and it gets passed on and it costs more to produce goods. And it's, it's just, it's very, it's very, it's multidimensional. It's very complicated. And it's probably not the fault of, it's probably not anybody's fault. It's, and it's, I mean, I think Congress put a little too much money out the door yeah. over the course of COVID. Um, and, and maybe, maybe there's some fault there, but it was very hard to spec these packages because it was like the great unknown. Yeah. And what does it do to public policy moving forward? Do we talk about minimum wage for the next 10 years? Since yeah. minimum, since the actual market-based minimum wage has has essentially far outgrown the, right. the proposals for minimum wage increases right. would have taken place over time. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we're not policymakers aren't wasting their energy on a $15 an hour minimum wage in all likelihood because that's taking care of itself. Worker visas has become, you know, a bipartisan issue. I think it was generally before, but it's it's becoming more and more a bipartisan issue uh, moving forward from an immigration standpoint. There's there's things that Republicans and Democrats agree on with regards to a, a workforce in the United States of America. Yeah, and and I mean the other thing is, you know, I always said coming out of my experience at Treasury that and just the political toxicity around the 0809 crisis that it was going to be really hard for the parties to come back together to deal with a crisis of that scale and they were able to do it and that in and of itself is super noteworthy and i don't know there's so much cynicism about where we are as a politically divided country i like to find opportunities to celebrate the the fact that they can come together and maybe something good comes out of that in the long run. You know, there hasn't been a crisis that America hasn't come together over, to be honest with you. I, I mean, it's, we, we stay divided and, and we fight a lot amongst ourselves. We're a very dysfunctional family, but if anybody challenges our family, uh, we tighten up pretty dang quickly. Well said, uh, Tanner. Yeah. I mean, you're absolutely right. We, we talked about this a little bit last week, you know, after 9-11. And this is, this is when we see the best of Washington and the best of Congress and the coming together to pass massive amounts of aid to Ukraine and um, to, to kind of confront some of these geopolitical challenges. Yep. And now that we're on the backside of the crisis, we can fight with each other again. So, you know, we can argue whose fault inflation is and we can, you know, have those have those political conversations. I'd just like a couple of decades off of crisis, please. <laughs> a couple well, of decades. it's interesting you bring this up because all of a sudden, COVID has completely disappeared. Yeah. I think Hawaii was the last state to roll back their mask mandate. And it is just mind-boggling that a month ago, you know, it was, again, I've brought this up several times, Governor, Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin getting attacked for saying, no, we don't need masks in schools. And now that's the norm. And it's it does feel a bit like we're going from crisis to crisis. And you could understand how a lot of America could be very frustrated over the past two years in dealing with 
you know, a, a sort of a lack of scientific data on some of these decision decision makings. Another example is uh, United Airlines today decided to not fire their unvaccinated employees and reverse their decision. And then we'll bring all of those folks back on the workforce. I mean, things that we were talking about on, the, on this podcast, not three, three months ago are now moot. Yeah, but, but that's because of science, not because of politics. And if we can just edit the politics out of science, I think we'll all be a hell of a lot better off. Like, that's what I object to is people making scientific issues political. And I, I think United is looking at its workforce and they're saying we need workers and COVID is receding and it's kind of something we're going to have to deal with. And so, I mean, they didn't, they didn't make the choice to fire those workers. I don't believe for political reasons, they made the choice for reasons of public health and the operation, effective operation of their business. And I don't know. I just want the politics. I want politics out of like going to the grocery store. Although I hate going to the grocery store, just for the record. I'm a huge Instacart fan. That's why you've got so many Amazon deliveries, Howard. I love going to the grocery store. Oh, God. That's so do I. I love walking the aisle. Checking out the sales, oh. stealing the produce. How do you not find new things? Like, I mean, you just hit repeat on an Instacart order over and over again, and you're like, all right, same meal again and again and again. You know, get a browse. I'm not going to comment on on that towner because it will get me in big trouble. <laughs> However, I do not like going to the grocery store. Oh. So we'll leave it there. Well, this was fun. I yeah. think uh, we'll we'll excuse our friends and colleagues to hobnob with politicians and have babies. But um, <laughs> congratulations, hopefully. Martins! Yes, congratulations! Wonderful so news for the Martin family. Yes, and we will be back next week. And thank you, everybody, for listening. You've been listening to the Beltway Briefing a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Please subscribe to our podcast so our episodes are automatically sent to you when they are released. The Beltway Briefing Podcast has been produced by Hometown Podcasts and Audio, Washington, D.C.